0: Welcome back this evening. If you're listening to the podcast, it is a full, full room. Uh, ushers, there are a couple of empty spots right here on the front row. You can squeeze some people in. Thank you for this crowd joining us tonight. Glad that you're here. I know many are here for the guest luncheon and or guest luncheon. Good night. You'll forgive me. It's been a long day. Uh, we are on Sunday nights going through a journey with Luke looking at Luke's perspective of Jesus' life and the lessons that we can learn from that. Um, today has been a day of calling audibles, and uh, tonight will be no different. I thought last week, I, as we talked about the section that we were in, as I studied and prepared for that, I thought I'd really like to expound upon this one verse, but uh, people tend to not like hour-long sermons, so uh, it got cut on the editing room floor. And promptly picked up uh, this evening. We'll be in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, as we continue along with the journey with Jesus and him calling the apostles. And I really just want to focus, since we did so much of that lesson last week, uh, in verse 11 of Luke chapter 5, uh, this will be our theme text for tonight. But to give you a little bit of context as we consider what... Um, what the, the, the setting is? Uh, we learned last week that they had caught a great catch of fish, and when they had done so, this is verse six, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, and so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come in and to help, and they came and filled both boats so that so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And tonight, for the the rest of the time this evening, I, I really want to focus in on this one thought given to us by Luke about the apostles, how they were called, why they were called, and what that involved, not just for them, but also for us. The first part of this is they pulled their boats up on shore. As we said a little bit last week, that boats in the first century, especially for first century fishermen, Represented their livelihood, their security, their comfort, their familiarity. Uh, they knew it well, and so when Jesus called them to do something far different, their response initially was to pull the boats up on shore. After, of course, this great catch, and they understand Jesus' authority, all of that which we talked about last week. The the uh, the, the boats for the fishermen represented their chariots and horses. If you're following along in your Bible and you want to turn to the Old Testament reference that I just made, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, the psalmist there in in the middle of his account of what his relationship and and God's people and their relationship and how that has worked uh, there in verse 7, uh, starting in verse 6, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers from his holy heaven. With the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I suppose it's easy when we think about the apostles and their uh, reliance on the boat, what they viewed that boat to be security, familiarity, livelihood, and all of that to think about them it's easy to say oh well yes you should leave that and follow jesus but you see we all have something like the boat something that acts as our chariots and horses that is the thing which we put our our trust and our hope and our confidence in it might be your job it might be your uh, 401k balance it might be your relationships it might be your career path It, it might be your family uh, there are many sorts of different chariots and horses. My question for you is not <clears throat> uh, what was the chariots and horses for the apostles or for the, the, the fishermen. Clearly, it was their boat. But my question is, what is your boat? What is your chariot, your horse? What, what is it that you tend to put your trust in that very naturally you would put it in even above the Lord himself? The interesting thing is that Jesus calls them out of the boat. He's constantly calling them out of the boat. He's saying, you, he, just think about this. Jesus did not do all of the ministry that over the three years. It was not all Jesus. It was Jesus and those whom he sent. Um, if you want to think about this, the apostle, Uh, The definition that I heard in college and has stayed with me ever since we were studying the book of Matthew and the uh, professor said, does anyone know what the definition of an apostle is? And we all kind of, you know, flummoxed freshmen looking around, not really sure, not wanting to give an answer publicly for fear of being wrong. And while we're sort of trying to gather some sort of fumbling, stumbling answer, he just pulls out a penny. And he says, "This, "This, this one cent. That's what an apostle is. And now I don't want any of you to remember that ever. Okay, just forget that. But the apostles were those sent by Jesus to do His work. He 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 didn't do all the preaching. He said, "You go and preach and teach about the kingdom of God." He didn't do all the miracles. He said, "You give them something to eat." He didn't do all the praying. He said, "You do that," which is of course an exemplary model of leadership with Jesus. But but. Catch this. Keep this in mind, that all of that good stuff which Jesus called them to do was outside of the boat. He called them to a place where they were very uncomfortable, a place where they were not familiar, a place where they were absolutely just uh, completely out of their element. My little daughter Grace is taking a... uh, online typing thing through her school she can log in and and practice typing which of course valuable skill for all uh children to know these days and um she's she's getting quite good at it she said dad come watch it." you know she's getting like 100 percent and typing faster than i am but but she's on like the ffjj level you know she's just doing a couple of letters and said so that is great honey i am so proud of you I said, now it looks like it's time for you to go to the next level. And she said, but, Dad, the next level's harder. You, you, you know, with kids, that's, that's kind of cute, and, you know, we, we appreciate that. But, but it's kind of sad when we get there as adults. When, when we find a level, and we're really good at that level, but uh, Jesus says, I, you know, I need you to move up a level. And, and just like he called the apostles, I need you out of the boat. I mean, they, they showed last week we talked about, you know, they were good fishermen. Jesus was better, but they were good fishermen. They knew their trade well. Jesus calls them to level up, and the only way in which He calls them to level up is to get out. Okay, that lesson isn't just for them though. It's for us as well. Think about this. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, the story that you know well. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed him, when he went up the mountain by himself to pray, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted the waves, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, by the way, did Jesus miss the boat here? Did he know that they were not leaving? Did he not know where the boat was? No, absolutely he knew where the boat was. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking in on the lake when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, then come, tell me to come to you on the water. And I have to think in the middle of the storm being buffeted by the wind and the waves, Jesus could hair wet, storms, loud lightning crashing. I have to imagine in that moment that Jesus smiled as big as if he were eating a banana sideways because it was in that moment that he was going to watch Peter get to do something that he would talk the rest of his life about. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and it began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. you? You just got to be reminded that with the apostles, the the, the cool things, the great things, the powerful things, the memorable stories that you would not stop telling about what God had done always happened outside the boat, always happened outside of their comfort zone. Jesus didn't give the fishermen fish, He taught them how to fish. And as he taught them to be fishers of men, he taught them to fish outside of the boat. Following Christ means trusting him enough to pull up your boats on the shore. Which is why I love Peter's response to Jesus after his colossal failure. John records this beautiful story of Jesus reinstating Peter. And they're out going to fish. This is chapter 21 of John, if you care to follow along. He, Jesus, called out to them, the apostles, who, by the way, are in the boat. They've gone back to what's comfortable, to what's familiar, to what they know. And he calls out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net off the boat on the right side, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And there they are, and they're hauling in the net. Wow! <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Yeah, that... And Peter gets it. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Sorry, John got it. It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment. I'm sorry. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. And he jumped into the water. Isn't that cool? That Peter understood from the moment he had been called all the way to the end and even, even beyond that the good stuff with Jesus happens when you pull your boat up on the shore. Second, uh, they pulled up their boats on the shore, and they left everything to follow him. Now, now this idea of leaving everything means that you have a higher allegiance. Okay, and, I mean, I know some have taken this, like the, the, the apostles had to literally get rid of all their possessions and leave their families. And, and that may have happened to some degree, but, but what's really happening is they're saying, I, I left everything. I'm, and, and in other words, it was a mental... Heart divorce between what they had and who they were and what their dreams were and and now they're being violently separated from that by Jesus, and they're allowing that separation to take place. They held to a higher allegiance than what they had formerly had. if you're following along Roman uh, Hebrews chapter eleven. You, a Sunday night crowd, would most certainly know that Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And the faith, faith chapter is a cool chapter. You can do a whole series on it and, and go name by name, person by person, character by character. All of that is beneficial and good and for another time. But I, w- I want to go down to um, the unsung heroes, uh starting in about verse 35. Because these are people who are described but not named. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They were in sheep, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated and in and, and all of this amazing character qualities, not a single name is mentioned. Only the characteristics of their life and the, thing, the ways in which they suffered for their faith in God and for their trust in Jesus. And look at verse 38. What I love is this declaration to the unsung, unnamed heroes. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. People of faith, it's not, I mean, anybody can have a measure of faith, but we're talking about faith in God here. And the the quality that's most clear amongst people of faith is that they hold a higher allegiance. That's why Noah built an ark to save his family. That's why Abraham walked a different path. It's, it's why so many of these heroes of faith live lives that were far different than the world that they were in. And the challenge was... That they left behind that which was lesser in value. What they had and what the world offered no longer held anything for them. The word for church in the original language is ecclesia, the called out. Called out of the world, called out of themselves called out of the boat, called out of their hopes, called out of their plans, called out of their wishes, called out and called up. How could the disciples, how could the apostles leave everything? Isn't that a drastic step? It it is a drastic step if the thing which they're leaving to go pursue has less value than the thing that they left. But you see, there was a far greater value in their minds in following this man who spoke as no one spoke, who taught as no one taught, who did things which they could not explain. He instilled within them something that they didn't see within themselves, and Jesus does so today. He calls us out. And so for those of the church... We are a people with a higher allegiance, a people who see the things that we leave or give up or sacrifice, if we can even call it that, are far less value than the things which we gain instead. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and following is a snapshot, a picture, an, an Instagram, if you will, of the early church and what they looked like. And this is a convicting and yet strangely inspiring scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, verse 44 is interesting to me. All the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. It's odd to me that um, we're living in a generation that uh, increasingly thinks that bad ideas of the past are something new and that they're more beneficial. Uh, There are uh, very outspoken socialists and communists and people who, Look and say, you know, what we really need is to p- pick a few angels among men to make decisions for all of us and equally divide all the money and all of the opportunity and all of the jobs. And, and, and we can just get the right, the smartest people who are of the utmost character to do that. Well, of course, that's a wonderful idea if men were angels, but men, of course, are not angels. And and one of the prevailing ideas from those who would aspire to such philosophies is that at some point, the government gets to be in charge. They get to force that. Some people naively, with great naivety, naive people, let's put it that way, they say, hey, look at, look at Acts chapter 2. It looks to me like Christians were communists. I mean, they, they had a common store. They were all together. Now, see, that's different. Because those who espouse those ideas and who believe in them with great zeal believe that that must happen at the point of a gun. Oh, you will. Oh, you will give up your income. You will give up your weapons. You will give up your freedoms. Because we know better, you see. I'm the boss. We're the boss. And we make those calls. Now. Acts chapter 2 gives us a better picture. Of people sharing and sacrificing. Not because they have to. Not at the point of a gun. Not because someone was elected. But because they desired to. They, 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 They freely gave up that which they had. For the benefit of someone else. Now all this is back to my point. The apostles left everything. My point is. In Christianity, there is something within our DNA that desires to give of ourselves for the benefit of someone else. How does that occur within our DNA? How is it that we freely give each week? How is it that we freely support projects like uh, the love your neighbor challenge and 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 all of the good works with simple house and celebrate recovery and and the, the soup kitchen and and all of the good works that go on within at northside uh, how does that happen because people are willing to give of themselves that happens when you have a people who are called to leave behind lesser things and when you get a group of those people who are called together Powerful things can happen because they don't hold on to the things of this world. They see their reward, their inheritance, their promise, their blessing, whatever you want to call it, as far, far greater. For proof, let's look at a couple of examples. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter himself says... Jesus here speaking about the, the, the challenge of being rich in this world and, and being in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that this is impossible. In fact, he says quite the opposite. The, verse 26 of Mark. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Okay, they got the idea. We're all rich. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now look at what Peter says in this, this back and forth. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, mothers, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Those were called not just to pull up their boats on the shore, but to leave everything. And that seems like a hard thing to be called to unless you understand that what you're pursuing is a far greater value than what you're leaving behind. Think about it for a minute. Uh, let's suppose you go home tonight, and you go to bed, put your children to bed, you you yourself are in bed. You're awoken in the middle of the night by your smoke alarms going off. And there's confusion and chaos. And in the middle of that chaos, you're trying to corral your children and, and get them out of the house. Now, your children are confused. And maybe they're trying to grab a toy or a blanket or a bear or something. And you say, leave it. Why? Because those things don't hold any value. In fact, you know That getting them out is of first importance. And you also know that if you're insured, you'll probably get a new stuffed animal or blanket or whatever anyway. In that moment, there's a value call. Nobody would stand outside of a burning house watching the people leaving it saying, what are those people doing? They're leaving all their stuff in there. They know their stuff is not worth anything inside the burning house you I we all live in a burning house and Jesus calls us to leave it that's not such a sacrifice they pulled their boats up to shore they left everything and then Luke tells us that they followed him I went to go see a movie. The name of it is Arctic. It's a strange movie, but a good one. It's about an hour and a half long movie, and I haven't seen the script in person, but I'm sure if I did, the script would be about a page and a half long. Because it's a story of a man who apparently has was a pilot, crashed the plane in the Arctic, and we find him, and the crash has already happened, and... You know, we're, we're seeing his life on a day-to-day basis. And the plane, what remains of it is a shelter. He's got a few little holes cut in the ice where he pulls out fish every day. When his watch goes off, he'll go out into the highest point he can find and send a little c- signal, SOS emergency beacon, a manually cranked one. And he'll just sit there and crank it for about an hour. And then he'll go back, and he'll go back in his shelter, and he'll pull up the sleeping bag over him, and he'll get as warm as he possibly can, and he'll go to sleep and repeat the same process again and again. You don't hear very much speaking going on. Now, in this whole process, he's signaling the beacon one day, and here comes a helicopter. They hear the beacon. They turn around to show that they see him. He's excited, uh, all the hope for rescue, and something goes wrong. A shift of wind comes in, blows the helicopter, and crash into the ground. He is full of despair, but he get, rushes over to the burning helicopter, and he is able to rescue someone inside, a, a, one of the pilots of the rescue helicopter. She's basically unconscious. He gets her back to life, feeds her, he gives her a little water day by day, and he goes through the very same routine except with her included, and now he's trying not only to save himself but her as well. Now, he goes through this process again and again and again, and he, he realizes when the rescue helicopter, he kind of strips strips whatever he can for for their survival and inside that rescue helicopter are some maps of the area where he is in he can pinpoint where he is and where a base camp is several days away and he has to weigh the decision whether he leaves the security and the comfort the comfort of what he's set up in his little world and try to survive there and wait for help to come to him or Does he leave all of that, take all of the supplies, take her, and try to make the treacherous journey? Seems like a bad trade until you get to a point where you're facing death if you stay there. So he makes the treacherous journey, and if you want to know more about it, go see the movie yourself. What was it that gave him the – what was the impetus or the catalyst – For causing him to leave what he knew, what was comfortable, what was secure, relatively speaking, was the promise of salvation and the hope. For us who follow Jesus, to be a, a follower of him requires that we be willing to leave the security and the comfort of the rescue vehicle and go follow him for salvation. We have to be willing to pay the cost, just as those apostles did. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, if you're still following along. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now as we read that, we say, "Oh, high cost." And there are people that wanted to follow Jesus that Jesus kind of said, "Eh, I don't think it's for you." There were Jesus, people that Jesus sought and asked to follow him who gave excuses. And in each of these encounters, we realize that the the cost of following Jesus is high, but the cost is only high if it's a bad trade. Uh, You probably no doubt remember every point of every lesson I've made over the past Sunday nights. And remember the point that I made about sin basically being a bad trade. A temporary, fleeting thing in exchange for what is rightfully already yours. Well, following Jesus is the opposite of that. It's a good trade. It's an infinitely good trade. Imagine if I pulled you aside tonight and said, listen... I've, I have some connections on Wall Street, and I have, it's a legitimate deal, the opportunity to sell you some stock in Apple for $15. What would you not sell and mortgage and give up to get as much money as you possibly could so that you might buy that stock at $15 and turn around and easily, easily sell it for $165 tomorrow? That's what following Jesus is like. It will cost you something, but pales in comparison to the return that you will get. Following Jesus means leaving behind that which you previously had and which you previously pursued in exchange for seeking better, far, far better things that are ahead. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and following. Jesus here tells two stories, and they go like this. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it we would consider those to be wise investments oh well, wait a second didn't you have to give up didn't you have to merchant didn't you have to sell everything you had to get that one pearl of course he did but to get a pearl that was of much greater value than all the other pearls which he presumably had You gave up all you had to buy that field? Well, yes, you see, within the field is $289 billion of gold. Why would I not? I love what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The apostles pulled their boats up on shore. They left security, familiarity, and comfort to trust Jesus and to watch him do the good things which only happen outside the boat. They left everything which they thought was previously valuable because they held to a higher allegiance. And they followed him because they knew that following him, whatever sacrifices it required of them, would pale in comparison to the reward that they would gain With following Jesus. So may we do those same three things. First. Shore up your boats. I don't know what that is for you. What your chariots and horses are. But shore them up. Jesus has better places for you to go. And better things for you to pursue. So shore up the boats. Second is to leave the less. To give it up. I mean, the things which have lesser value than what Jesus calls you to are certainly worth giving up. And finally, may we follow the Master. And this is in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Jesus, He said to them all, If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit himself? Yes, following Jesus comes at a great cost, denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Him. But the reward is far greater than anything you would ever give up. If you are on that journey, don't give up. Shore up the boats. Leave behind what's less. And bravely follow the Master all the way home. Tonight, if you have not begun to follow Jesus, He calls you to shore up the boats, to leave behind everything of this world, and in love and in faith, trust him and follow him to a heavenly reward. That journey can begin tonight with your trust and belief in Jesus, uh, your obedience to him by being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. If you'd like to do that, we'd be thrilled to help you with that and for that. And if you are on the journey with Jesus But you have gone back to the boat, and it's time to return to that which Jesus called you to. If maybe you need to repent, we'll be happy to pray for you. If you need some encouragement, we're happy to pray with you. If you have a need this evening, please come as together we stand and sing.